0: Coming up on the Father's Day edition of Vancouver Consumer Dog Training, the importance of group classes for your dog. Also, how to choose a vet. It seems that there are more vets on street corners than there are Starbucks around this area. And how do you choose just the right vet for you? We'll bring in an expert in just a couple of minutes. Also, a little bit later for Father's Day, uh, just before noon, some beer tasting. Yeah, We're going to talk about craft beer, how it came to be. What is craft beer? Is it really any different than any other kind of beer? Beer is being served before noon on Vancouver Consumer. New children's sleep guidelines have been issued. Experts now say that infants should get up to 16 hours of sleep per day. New parents, at least three. Americans don't spend more on restaurants, or do spend a lot more, on restaurants than groceries. And I I bring this item to you despite it being American. These are American figures, but I'm guessing it's probably not that different here. Despite evidence showing that we gain less weight and save an average of $9 per meal when we cook ourselves at home, Americans are eating less at home. The latest data shows Americans are spending more at bars and restaurants, almost $55 billion U.S., than they are on groceries at $52.5 billion. It's the first time it's happened in recorded history. A very helpful feature is coming to iOS 10. That's the new version of the iPhone operating system. The phone will automatically remember where you parked your car and show you the car's location on Apple Maps. Six U.S. airlines have now received their official license, allowing them to fly passengers to Cuba, which will make it uh, even easier and less expensive to get there uh, if you're traveling across the border, as so many of us do when we take an air flight. Japan's first naked restaurant will open next month, but not for the overweight. The restaurant, opening in Tokyo on July 29th, won't allow customers who are 30 pounds over what the average should be. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, the new the new commercial, have you seen this? This is for Carl's Jr. And it stars Los Angeles Rams running back Todd Gurley It's being mocked. The fast food chain is having none of the mocking. The ad shows Gurley supposedly biting into a California classic double cheeseburger. Now, come on, doesn't that sound good? But it looks like the burger isn't really in his hand. It looks like it's a CGI insert, which is done by computer. But hold on, Carl's Jr. tweeted about the controversy and included a GIF showing Gurley munching on burger after burger while filming the shot in question. Carl's Jr. tweeted, Hey, a lot of things in SoCal are enhanced, but Todd really did eat a lot of Cali classics. There's a Chinese company called Ehang and the state of Nevada. They're going to test, are you ready for it, drone taxis. A small aircraft is billed as the world's first passenger drone, capable of automatically carrying a person in the air for a 23-minute period. Imagine a typical four-rotor, remote-controlled drone, blown up to a size large enough to carry a person in a center pod. The company is called eHang. Money.com has put out an estimate that Chewbacca Mom has now racked in almost a half million dollars in gifts, Over $400,000 U.S., including swag from Kohl's, trips to New York, California, Disney World, college scholarships for her family, and the list goes on. There's 15 minutes of fame that has definitely paid off. Netflix has studied binge-watching. How long does it take to finish a complete season of shows on Netflix? Uh, Well, they say subscribers who finish the first season of a TV show generally wrap it up in a week. They'll watch about two hours a day. Netflix findings show that some shows are consumed quickly while others are viewed at a slightly slower clip. The stuff viewers lap up, horror and thrillers. The shows that take slightly longer, political dramas and sophisticated comedies. A quick break on Vancouver Consumer. We're going to the dogs next on Father's Day, News Talk 980 CKNW. Shelly Smith is an award-winning certified master dog trainer with an educational background in psychology. She's been training dogs and their owners for over 12 years. Shelly's training combines counter-conditioning, replacing unwanted behavior with more appropriate behavior and positive reinforcements rather than just the old method of reprimanding for bad behavior. And we welcome your calls, too, regarding your dog's behavior, good, bad, or indifferent at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're on your mobile device. Good morning, Shelley. Good
1: morning, Ian.
0: Nice to have you with us. As always, enjoy talking to you. It's hard to believe, um, but who really likes going to the vet? Nobody that I know. Uh, animals don't like it. The dog exactly. owners don't like it. Everybody gets uh, uh, upset about it. We want to look at some tips on how to find the right veterinarian. Uh, unlike a, a, a general practice or family doctor, it seems that there's a, a vet on every corner. And when you bring your do- uh, dog into your life, you're responsible for that dog each and every do- uh, day. You want to look after nutrition and safety, dog health and dog care. So what to look for when looking for a veterinary practice?
1: You know it's funny, and our vets are our other family doctor, really, if you think about it. And I mean, we do Google searches, looking for dentists, looking for doctors, even for hairdressers. But a lot of times, people don't do that for a vet; they just go to one that's one that's close to them, which you know kind of makes sense. But mm-hmm. so, you know, there's a couple places out there online that you can check out your um your veterinarian see if they have any major complaints lodged against them, you can go to the BCVMA, um, which is the British Columbia Veterinary Medical Association, and see if your vet has any, you know, um, complaints uh, issued, you know, about them. You can also go online and go to vetratings.com and read the, you know, read reviews on on your vets.
0: Now, as a dog owner, uh, what do you, now you probably have a vet, and I'm sure a very good one, but Uh, For somebody that is thinking that maybe their vet isn't giving them the best advice or the best service and they're thinking about switching.
1: Get a second opinion. We do for ourselves. So if you're not, you know, if the little hairs in the back of your neck are all tingly and you don't really believe it, uh, get a second, absolutely get a second opinion. But my first stop to check out a vet is to go to the BCVMA and see if there are any complaints um, against, against this particular vet. Read up on the complaints. I mean, I know of a vet that... Was I don't know exactly what he did, but according to the B C v- VMA, he lost his license to practice as a veterinarian for one full year. Hmm. It's a bit scary. It <laughs>
0: is scary. So when he comes back after a year, do we not say justice served? Why not let him well, have another crack that, at it?
1: Yeah, during that year, um, I mean, I, re- I, I read it last night. He had to attend school. He had to, you know, he had to go back to school. He had to follow a bunch of things that the Veterinary Association set out for him. And I guess he completed that to their liking, and, uh, you know, he went, he went forth. But the Veterinary Association is, they don't post these things at vet clinics. They post it online, and they're expecting the consumer to do their due diligence, to go and look up vets, to see if they've, you know, have major infractions against them.
0: The only thing that worries me about that kind of thing, and I, I'm not saying it applies in this situation, because I really don't know, I don't have an issue with a vet at all, but if... You have a body that is self-governing its own industry. It always makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, vets watching vets. Um, and you want to think that these are professional people that are making the best decisions and the best in the, the public's interest. But let's talk about some of the things maybe to look for in a clinic. And, and it would seem to me the number one thing that you'd want to look for, and that would be a clean clinic. Some, you don't want to go into, into, a, into a veterinarian's office and find that there's you know, clutter all over the yeah. place. That they haven't swept the floor you know, worse. That there's hair everywhere. Or you wouldn't me- go
1: to a nail salon and get your nails done if it looked like that either. No. right. So I, I recommend clients go in and, and interview the vet. You know, go in and talk to the vet. Find out what their philosophies are in terms of spaying and neutering. You really have to develop a good relationship, a good trusting relationship with your veterinarian.
0: The other thing I'd want to ask, too, and I'd want to ask right off the bat, do you like my German Shepherd? Do you like my Poodle? Do you like my Pug? Whatever kind of dog you have, because I have, it's been my experience that some vets don't like certain dogs, and I guess that's normal. Probably
1: from personal experience.
0: Well, it could be, and for whatever reason, if you have a Pug, for example, and I'm not picking on Pugs, gosh (laughs) knows,
1: they're so cute,
0: but... Let's be honest, if this particular vet isn't, isn't crazy about cleaning the creases, then maybe you want to find a vet who is.
1: I don't know if that would really be my determining factor, Ian, to be honest with you. Um, there's certain breeds of dogs that I, I wouldn't own, that breed of dog. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to help the owner when they come into, my, come into my class. I'm a German Shepherd girl, um, always had them, always will. And, you know, but if somebody comes into my class with another type of dog, I'm, I'm more than willing to help them. Uh, and i don't favor the people who come into my class with a german shepherd so i think it's probably the same
0: with uh, i, you know, I want to ask the, i'd want to ask lo if if the if the vet isn't crazy about a certain breed i think that does happen then you might want to find a vet who likes the breed that you have regardless of whatever that breed is and i should never you know any time i bring up the word pug i get into trouble I love sports pugs. and pugs I should never ever go near it. Um, <laughs> what about um things like uh, do you need to know whether the vet is good hours. at behavioral issues, for example, are they good at geriatrics? are these things that you want to know?
1: yeah, I guess so um again, my go to is is checking out the ratings um, you know particularly not necessarily with the dot com because you can post anything there i don 't like what he was wearing i don 't like what he charged me or she, um, but the College of Veterinary Association, what they published i mean I myself went through a, a problem with a vet. I um, you know did a formal complaint with the b c vMA It took one year for them to investigate it. Um, and it was back and forth, asking me questions, and it, they did end up ruling in my in my favor. Now they don't fight for your for you to get your money back, but they were very very thorough, and so I'm I'm all about that. I'm all about them checking out because they don't post things like, well, he doesn't wear a white jacket. Um, you know, they it, it's very serious offenses. It's it's negligence that they are that they are going after.
0: I'd also want to know if the vet. Has X-ray equipment, ultrasound. Yeah, you
1: know, and that's a good one. There is, I do know of a few vet clinics that are, um, I guess they'd be called college, or not college, pardon me, cottage vet clinics. Meaning they don't have, you know, the the equipment, so they will use another vet clinic. So if you took, if you rushed your pug with a broken leg, God forbid, into one of these cottage vet clinics, um, that vet would have to close his shop or after hours have to then go to another vet clinic to use their equipment. So that's you know, a couple of hours that your dog might be might be in agony. Um, yeah. I was quite surprised. I actually just found that out a few years ago. I went into a vet clinic and realized that they didn't have, by accident, that they didn't have a lot of the equipment and they used another vet clinic. And I thought, well, what if it's an emergency situation?
0: Yeah. Well, I'd want to, I think at bare minimum, x-ray, ultrasound, blood work, uh, EKG, endoscopy, uh, other diagnostic equipment that they can, uh, stool analysis, all those things that you want to have immediate results so that you can deal with the situation.
1: Absolutely. I was quite surprised. I mean, there's one in Richmond, he's a lovely vet, but he is a cottage veterinary hospital, meaning he doesn't have this equipment. So if I took my beloved Magnum in there um, for emergency, it's you know, he, he's going to have to then transport that, my dog to another place. I could just have easily done that myself.
0: Well, the topic being how to choose a vet. So I think that that's a, a good point, Shelley, is that does the vet that you're choosing have emergency services available? And I, I think that's, that's... And do
1: they have an after hours? Contact a lot of vet clinics do now, and check out the hours of um, of vet clinics. You know, some are you know, very limited. A lot of the vet clinics now, I think because there's so much competition, have extended their hours. It was always nine to five. And, you know, most of us work nine to five. Um, a lot of vet clinics now are open till eight or open till 10 p.m. So that extends your, you know, so you can have your job, do your job and then, then go after hours. So check on the, you know, check. but word of mouth as well. Um, you know, when I'm at the off Dog Park, I, you know, when I first moved to Richmond, which was over 20 years ago, I asked people at the off-leash dog park, you know, who are you going to with your vet? You know, who is your vet? And then I would, you know, do a drive-by, check out the clinic, meet the vet. Did I like the vet? Um, You know, could could I trust this person?
0: Well, I'd say also ask about uh, their staff, their technicians. Are they trained? Are they licensed? Yeah, and
1: a good sign is if the vet clinic has a high turnover of staff, I'm not really trusting that clinic. I'm thinking, hmm, you know, if every time I go in there's a different receptionist and oh that lady quit or that gentleman's no longer here, that's kind of a sign that something's going on behind the scenes.
0: Last thing I want to bring up and I think this is important, and that is to ask what the vet's fees are and, and does do those fees fit yeah, within you know, your budget?
1: You you get what you pay for a lot of times. I know there are some vet clinics that seriously under undercharge to to get the you know, to get the people in and the veterinary association they have set out guidelines for vets that you can charge and there's a sliding rate there you can charge you know for an exam i don't know what the prices are but it's anywhere from i think 47 to you know 98 or whatever so there is a bit of a you know movement in there but some vet clinics there's a chain of vet clinics i won't say who they are but they undercut um, and you know if it you know if it seems too good to be true a lot of times it is if it's significantly lower than any other vet clinic you got to ask yourself why
0: hmm CVBC.ca is the uh, website for veterinarians in British Columbia. Uh, Arlene, you have a question?
1: Uh, yes, this is about uh, behavior, mm-hmm. dog behavior. I have a 7-year-old mom here, a chihuahua, and you can probably hear her barking, and this is what I'm trying to stop. It's been going on for a while now. She when when the front door. She figures something's there, and there's nothing there. <laughs> okay. That's actually, it's. Uh, there is a fix for it. Seven years you've been dealing with this problem for... Five and a half years. Oh, sorry, she's a rescue dog. I've had her for two years. Okay. This is long-established behavior, so it's absolutely not going to be a quick fix. Mm-hmm. The more a dog does something, the more acceptable it is in their mind. So what I would do with the door open, I mean, there's a, a, a standard training protocol for this, but it's going to take quite a while. With the door open, ask your dog to sit, get a treat pouch, fill it, fill it full of yummy treats. Standing right in front of your dog with the door wide open, knock or ring the doorbell, whatever her trigger is, chances are high. Ask her to sit. Chances are high she's going to stand to bark. The reason why dogs continue to bark at the door is most owners, when the dog starts to bark, we yell, hey, cut it out, stop it. And the dog thinks, oh, well, she's barking too. There is a problem. And we actually increase the barking. So, rather put her in a sit-stay. So, you have to have a little bit of obedience here. With the door wide open so she can see there's nothing going on. And ring your doorbell a thousand times. She's going to stand up to bark. You're not reprimanding her for barking, you're reprimanding her for standing. So, no, sit. Good girl. Give her a treat. Ring the doorbell, you know, literally a thousand times. She's going to stand up each time. Each time, you're just going to ask her to sit, pop that treat in her mouth. She's got to shut her mouth to take that treat. But it's going to take countless little training sessions. To, for her to get this because this behavior has been going on since she's been probably about a year and a half of age. But you probably ask, right? But it is doable.
0: Well, Sorry, I, and I cut you off, Arlene. I, I'm sorry for that. I I think what, what you're saying, too, is that you have to dedicate yourself to the training to correct this kind of behavior.
1: Right, and, and it's particularly hard with a well-established, you know, an older dog, because they've been doing the behavior for so long. But again, barking at the door is a really common problem. And every time I go to friends' houses, oh, jeez, even family, the dogs start barking. And, you know, people are yelling, hey, stop it. And the dog looks back and says, oh, gosh, she's barking, too? And that actually increases the barking. So we want to remain calm and work on something the dog does know. Say, sit, sit, good job. And every time you ring that doorbell, you'd have to, she'd have to desensitize this dog to the doorbell. But the door being open is first step so the dog can see, wait a minute, there is nothing here. And mommy's got little pieces of hot dog. I love you. <laughs> um, and then once you've you know, done that a couple of times, then you would start to shut the door and do the exact same thing. So you want the doorbell becomes a trigger for most dogs. When they people come into my group classes, I tell them, you know, these are a lot of times younger dogs or sometimes rescue dogs that are older, and I tell them, do your work at your front door. And I have people all the time. Well, my young dog is not barking at the door. And I smile and I say, well, give me a call when your dog gets about six if you don't do this, when your dog gets about 16 to 18 months of age because you'll have a doggy doorbell, trust me. Do the work now, desensitize your dog to the barking at the uh, at the door and it is with young Dogs, it's very simple.
0: I've always been told, though, that it's okay for the dog to, to bark half a dozen times or so when the doorbell goes off. It's when it gets beyond that. You yeah. have to give the well, dog some territorial... Uh, no, no,
1: you're not, when you're removing bark, and I've had people say that to me, well, I, I want my dog to let me know when, you know, there's intruders or something going on outside. Your dog will, but why do you need your dog to go nuts when the doorbell's ringing? Uh, somebody in law enforcement told me this a couple of years ago. Um, that the people who are ringing your doorbell are generally not coming to rob you. They are friends and family. So why do you need your dog to go nuts for the doorbell? You're not removing the guarding instinct at all, your dog at 4 a.m. in the morning, if they hear something outside of the house, they're going to bark and let you know.
0: Take a breath, Shelly Smith. Certified Master Drug Dog Trainer, 604-280-9898, star 9898. If you have a question about your dog and your dog's behavior, uh, we'll take your call next. We're also going to talk about group obedience classes. Vancouver Consumer is on News Talk 980 CKNW. As an award-winning uh, certified master dog trainer, uh, Shelly, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, uh, because I know you're a big advocate of this, and that is, and by the way, I should tell you that our phone is still open if you have a question uh, about your dog's behavior or any issues having to do with your, your canine, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. Uh, group obedience classes. You think it's important to get dogs in a group for these classes for what reason? Are you there? Shelley?
1: Yep. I'm right here Oh, for the distractions. Um, I offer both. I offer private lessons and group training. And there's some dogs, you know, that are very reactive, really, really reactive that it wouldn't, you know, a group class they're not able to. But I think the goal for that, say, that reactive dog should have a private lesson and then should go into group classes. I think group classes should be almost mandatory for all dogs. I, you know, being a certified master dog trainer train my, still continue to train my dog in a group class. And the reason is it's real life condensed. You have all these distractions. Who cares if your dog is great in the living room? Unless your dog is never going to leave your living room, you know, you're taking your dog out. There's other dogs, there's people. So a group class gives you all of those distractions. So week after week, You train your dog, look at me, pay attention to me, despite what's going on. You do get a better trained dog at the end of the day. It's a bit of a socializing aspect. The dog gets used to being around other dogs, gets used to being around kids, gets used to being around other people. And you want, like when I go to a class, I want a larger class. People think, oh, you know, a three dog class will be great because I'll get all of this extra instruction. And the reason why you go to the group class is for the distraction. So if there's only two other dogs and your dog, there's not a lot of distractions. Your dog will habituate to those other dogs. If you go to a a large class, you know, 10, 11 dogs in the class, you, you know, you get all of these distractions. You'll work your dog, say, around one dog, and when your dog starts paying attention to you, you go work around another dog, say, a small dog or a big dog. You just get a better trained dog, hands down.
0: Have a look at dogtrainershelly.ca, dogtrainershelly.ca, and find out about... uh, Shelly Smith's group obedience classes. Now, we've got a full phone board here, so I want to get some questions. Yes. Uh, let, me, let me put the first one to you. Let's just say, just for the sake of this conversation, Uh-oh. that I had, let's just say I had a three-month-old golden retriever.
1: Okay, let's just say
0: that. Let's just pretend here. And let's say she's a beautiful animal, and she's great to be around, but there's certain members of the family she likes to bite. Hmm. She's got her little, her little baby teeth. And it's all play. It's not vicious. There doesn't seem to be any rough play, but just it doesn't seem to matter what a couple of people in the house do. Uh, The dog continues to want to bite.
1: What do you do? Well, first of all, um, keep your hands to yourself. My parents used to tell me that when I was a kid. It didn't really work. But um, the more times you touch, every time you touch a young puppy, the physical touch is an invitation to play. So generally the people who are getting bit or mouthed, which is what it's called, more are the people who are petting. Puppy more in the family. That's why it's usually younger kids because they're hands on with the puppy. So every time you're touching your puppy, what you're saying to your puppy in your puppy's world is, "Hey, do you want to play?" And your puppy is responding in kind because puppies use their mouths. What I say to people is, first of all, less petting. And I'm a real hands on person with my with my animals. Poor Mag, I kiss them at least 50 times a day, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, pet your puppy when your puppy is tired, <laughs> sleeping. Right. But in terms of that, get down on the floor, play with your puppy, and as soon as you feel those teeth, and puppy teeth should be used as weapons of mass destruction. I mean, they're so sharp. As soon as you feel the teeth, jump up and whimper, arr, 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 and walk quickly to the other side of the room and completely ignore your puppy. Two things will happen in your puppy's world. One, your puppy will realize, oh geez, I hurt her because. That's what one puppy will do with another when they're playing and they get hurt. And two, by you removing yourself and going quickly to the other side of the room, the puppy learns, oh, when I hurt her, play with her stops.
0: Okay. Let's get Julie on. Julie. Hi. Go ahead. Shelly Smith's on the other end here. Hi, Hi, Shelly.
1: As soon as I heard you say about shepherds, we rescued a shepherd. She's perfect. We love her in every way. But she's a menace in the car. She screams, and every time we go in the car, it's because we're taking her somewhere really fun. Exactly. (laughs) So now you're taking her everywhere in the car and no place fun. But we tried everything. My husband sat in the car in the back with her. Yeah, but now take her out for short periods of time. Go to Safeway. Not on the hot days. We can't leave our dog in the car. But for the next couple of weeks, guess what? Wherever you're going fun, you're walking there. And when you're driving, you're driving to Safeway, <laughs> you're driving to Starbucks, you're driving to wherever. You're going to the most boring places, okay. and it's probably going to take a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and act like a zombie while you are doing this, <laughs> driving a safe way. Drive her around and don't go anyplace fun, and she'll soon realize. Um, listen, it's it's pretty common. My dog is wonderful in the car, except, and here's the but, yep. so it, when I turn down to go to the beach, he knows it. Yes. And he just goes crazy <laughs> in the truck. But other than that, I mean, I could drive from here to Toronto with him, and he wouldn't utter. But I make that turn down to the beach. He's, oh, my God, I know where we're going.
0: (laughs) Give that a try, Julie. Thank you for your call. Sue, you're up.
1: Hi. Um, We have a -a nine-and-a-half-year-old labradoodle, and he's absolutely fabulous in every way, except he barks all the time, and his bark is really, really shrill. Even when we bring people into the house, he bark, bark, barks, and and we have to lock him in a, in a separate room. Mm-hmm. He he's very friendly. He you know he want, his tails wagging. He's greeting everybody, but it's a shrill barking. And- Tail wagging doesn't necessarily mean. Friendliness. Okay. A, a lot of times it does. Okay. But what I would do, bringing people into the house again. Did you say nine and a half? He's nine and a half. Again, a well-established behavior, mm-hmm. going to be hard to break it, but easy. Lock him away when you're just be, just before, prior to your guests arriving, and he can't be behind glass. Don't use a crate. It's got to be a wooden door so he cannot see mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, and have your guests in and give every one of your guests two or three really yummy treats when you go to get the dog say he's in you know your bathroom or your laundry room have a leash on him open the door very calm ask him to come out ask him to sit good job release okay take three steps or pardon me walk towards your guest doing three sits with releases and that's going to do a couple things it's going to calm your dog down and put you into the leadership position. Okay. Super nice when he sits, if you want to give him a treat as a reward, the treat is hidden until he does the sit, then bring him into the living room where your guests are. If he starts barking, simply turn around and walk him back and start again. Okay. Bring him in on leash, have your guest possibly toss him a treat or, you know, have him go up, ask him to sit, have your guest give him a piece of hot dog or chicken, high value here. Okay. Every time he starts to bark, you're turning around and walking him back to the no-go area
0: High value is important right you want to give a treat that's worthwhile Absolutely. right okay thanks for that Sue I want to get one more call on here before we have to uh, break so uh, Ellen that's you
1: hi 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 Ellen Hi so I have a dog who is uh, he's a northern breed mm-hmm. he's naturally he's very intelligent naturally cautious about people and things He's nine and a half I raised him from a pup um, he's always had a real issue with loud noises. Um, and wind when he's inside. When he's outside, I guess it's his natural DNA, wild instincts, he's, he's fine. But when he's inside, particularly with wind um, and loud noises, he gets very anxious and upset. Um, he wants to leave immediately. Mm-hmm. And I've tried two different ways. I've tried to not make a big deal of it and just sort of say, it's okay, you know, let him sit beside me and pet him. Um, but it's, nothing, has really, nothing has really worked. Have you, To start with, um, if, you, if you're sitting beside you and you're saying, it's okay, and you're petting him, he may have taken that as praise. Um, if mm-hmm. you listen to our voice, good job for doing an obedience command. It's okay. It comes across as one and the same for the dog. So you may inadvertently have marked this behavior for him and let him know that this is what mom wants. Um, what you, there's a couple of different ways that you can try.
0: Got about 20 seconds.
1: Okay. Get, uh, there's tapes that you can get and that will loud noises and descense, put it on very low and work him. Make him sit, make him stay, make him down, make him work for you, and then increase the volume so he becomes habituated to it. That is something absolutely worth, worth trying
0: private lessons, as well as group obedience classes. Shelly Smith is a certified Master Dog Trainer. Her website is dogtrainershelly.ca. Shelly, thanks for being with us. Uh, Obviously, you're going to have to come back, and I'm apologizing. I'm leaving some people on the line. So thank you for your time.
1: Thanks very much, Ian.
0: Nice to have you Happy with us. Happy Father's Day. And thank you. And uh, I would say the same to you, but you're you're a mother, not a not a father. I'm
1: a doggy mother. There yeah.
0: you go. Uh, we'll get you back soon. Thank you so much. Uh, we do have to take a break on Vancouver Consumer. It's Dad's Day, and it's all about beer. When we come back on News Talk 980 CKNW. Today, as you know, is Father's Day, and uh, while beer is by no means exclusive to dads, we thought it a good excuse to talk about or even sample some. Joining us in studio is Mike Sharpham from Granville Island Brewing, otherwise known as The Beer Guy. Thanks for being here.
2: Oh, thanks for having me, Ian. It's
0: nice to have you here. Um, one of the things that's been bugging me for a-, a while now, and mainly because nobody seems to have an answer, and, and that may be because there is no right answer Uh, But what I want to know is, what is the ideal serving temperature for beer? That's going to depend on the beer style. So one of the reasons
2: it's hard to answer is because each beer style has its own optimal temperature range. Uh, Lagers tend to fall at the cooler end where you want them nice and cold and crisp. Uh, Whereas ales, you're going to want them a bit warmer. uh, So you're going to get some of those more uh, richer flavors coming through. So with ales, you can be uh, 8 degrees or so. Uh, closer to sort of cellar temperature, uh,
0: whereas lagers you're
2: going to want nice and crisp and cold at around three
0: degrees or sort of fridge temperature. So, so I've been drinking beer wrong all this time. Is I, I tend to go for ales, and I like it. I like them very, very cold, very crispy cold. Yeah. So the one thing you'll find about a very cold beer is the flavors that
2: will show through will be a little bit more subdued than they will be when they warm up. Right. So some beer styles they're designed to be very light and crisp. So you want them at that very cold temperature. Uh, so just next time, give it a try. Leave, uh, once you pour your beer, have the first couple sips really cold, and then let it sit just let minute. it sit in the palm of your hand for a little bit oh, and, okay. and hold the glass. It'll warm up more quickly that way. Uh, and then that way you can sort of just test and see what how it does change at different temperatures.
0: Well, I'm told by aficionados uh, that drink beer and know something about it that if you leave it out on the counter for a little bit, that you'll actually be able to taste uh, the minutiaes and, and all of the, Definitely. the different things that are going on in the beer. Um. And again, when it comes to drinking beer, I've always felt that beer is best served in a glass. Definitely. Uh,
2: you should always be drinking your beer out of a glass. The The things that it does are are uh, multiple. What it's going to do for you, you're going to be able to smell the beer. If you try to smell out of a can, you're sort of, there's nowhere to do that. Same with the bottle. The opening just isn't large enough. Uh, and a huge part of the taste experience is coming from those olfactory senses. Additionally, and one of the most important things... Uh, That people are going to find if they're drinking multiple beers is in the package, it's overcarbonated, and in pouring it, you're Uh releasing some of that CO2 into the air. So if you're drinking it straight out of the can or the bottle, the liquid is going into your stomach with all that CO2 still jammed in there in suspension. And so when it meets your stomach, that CO2 is released, giving you sort of that bloaty, gassy feeling which you don't get if you
0: properly pour a beer into a glass. Right, exactly. And and let's be honest, without those red solo cups there would be no country music. Exactly. So, <laughs> it's okay if you're at a festival to to drink out of a solo cup, but if you're at home or in a bar, try and try and be dignified and drink drink your beer out of a glass. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay, let's go with the term craft beer. I think it's largely misunderstood. Granville Island was the first as far as i could tell in this area going back to i guess it was a 1984 it doesn't yeah. matter it was the early 1980s that the term craft beer was never heard around here maybe in germany not here um what what is craft beer well craft beer is a, is a relatively recent term uh, as you mentioned we opened
2: up in 1984 uh we had the first microbrewing license in canada uh, in the same year, nineteen eighty four, uh, Vancouver Island Brewery also started up, and then uh, Spinnaker's Pub started up as the uh, the first brew pub. Um, so back in those days, we were we actually went by the name of uh, Cottage Brewery. Mm. Uh, so not the not the same craft beer terminology. We sort of referred to it as the the better beer movement. Right. And from that, it sort of grown into what uh, we recognize today as craft. But uh,
0: really, how the craft is no longer a cottage industry. It's, it's become big business. Definitely, yeah. Huge, huge growth.
2: In 1984, when, when we opened up in the, the late uh, 1970s, early 1980s, there was about three breweries you could get beer from in BC. So I know for ourselves, the reason we opened up is our founders wanted to provide more beer options to people. Uh, and I'm sure that's why most of the other breweries started as well. So we've gone from there in 1984, where we were,
0: you know brewery number number four in B.C. Right. to a
2: point where today we're over 100 breweries in B.C.
0: Wow. Yeah. And that's uh, like 70% of them are in East Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> At least it seems that way. Certainly. <laughs> um, it, we talked about this off-air before you came on, and, and I wanted to bring this up because I think one of the ways that we can wrap our head around the idea of craft beer is It's not too different than what the wine industry did a few years ago, where wine has become very personal or selective. uh, Whereas, you know, you can have wine with your dessert, with your appetizer, with your your entree. You can have wine with wine or, you know. And now a beer pairing has become very, very popular. There's a Mm -hmm. beer for every single occasion. Are there rules that, that guide you to know
2: which beer to go with what? Certainly. There's no hard and fast rules, uh, but beer does pair fantastically with food. Uh, it has a great range of flavors. You can either complement or, or contrast points in the dish. Uh, it also has uh, some bitterness to it and uh, carbonation, which is fantastic at cleansing the palate. So it works fantastically with food. So far as uh, tips for pairing beer with food, uh, an easy place to start if you're already familiar with pairing wines and food. Uh, if you think of lagers as being like white wines and ales as being like red wines, So uh, lagers are going to go with lighter dishes, fish, uh, chicken, um, appetizers, uh, sort of softer, lighter foods like that. And then ales are going to go with richer, heartier dishes. Uh, So that's a good starting point. But really what we're looking to do is, for one, have the beer cut through the flavor of the food so you get a nice refreshment. And then also you can play around with uh, uh, complementing and contrasting.
0: Some people might say, even today, knowing what we know, and forgive me for saying this i'm I'm just trying to reflect here that beer is beer is beer. I'm guessing you're not going to agree with that.
2: Beer is beer, and that's awesome uh, but there's tons of different types of beer um, The most dominant style over the last one hundred and seventy years has been uh, the lager style that we're familiar with seeing everywhere and a lot of, to a lot of people this is what beer is. Uh, but with a, we have a rich brewing history uh, as as humans that that goes back thousands of years. Sure. some people suggest that it was the primary reason that we became an agricultural society. <laughs> That's so a good you get reason. you get bread and you get beer yeah, and I mean, all you have to do is watch crops all day. W- so what it, else do you need? <laughs> so a lot of the uh, a lot of the styles that we're seeing these days are sort of revitalizations of older styles that sort of fell out of fashion for a while. Uh, so there's there's plenty of ranges of, of flavors uh, and experiences that we can get from beer. So uh, the, I, I would not say that beer is beer beer. is beer is beer. Is beer.
1: <laughs>
0: Break it down, though, uh, for the unwashed. Uh, what mm-hmm. is the difference between a lager and an ale?
2: So what we're actually talking about, the differences between a lager and ale, are uh, in fermentation. So fermentation, yeast is consuming sugars, creating alcohol and carbon dioxide. So there are two main families of yeasts that are used in doing this for brewing, and they're ale yeasts and lager yeasts. So a lot of the lagers that we see these days are a, a sort of a take on a Czech-style Pilsner, which was the first of sort of the modern lagers. So a lot of people, when they hear the word lager, they think a very light, crisp, uh, pale in color, refreshing style of beer. Mm-hmm. And these are a lot of the lagers that we see, but uh, you can also have very dark lagers. You can have very hoppy lagers. You can have high alcohol or low alcohol. So really what we're referring to is is fermentation, and that sort of affects the the body of the beer and the crispness, with ales tending to be a bit richer and uh, lagers being nice and light and crisp. Is
0: it the hoppy? Is that the one? Is it the hoppiness that makes you feel full? You know, sometimes. And you said it earlier, so I'm repeating what you said. You get that kind of bloated feeling.
2: That that'll typically be the carbonation with hoppiness. What's that? What that is gonna, going to contribute? Sorry,
0: is uh, bitterness. Okay. Uh,
2: which can either be a very mild amount of bitterness, which is just going to balance out some of the otherwise uh, sweet aspects of the beer. Or it can be a lot of uh, bitterness, such as in a pronounced style. I mean, we've got our uh, India Session Ale here today. Also, IPA is a very hoppy, bitter style, what sort of brings that bitterness of the hops to the forefront.
0: And who would like that, and what would you pair that
2: with? Um, so there's, there's a lot of people who are getting into very bitter styles, um, and so far as pairing goes, they tend to work quite well with uh, spiced foods. Okay. An interesting thing about heavy bitterness is that it's going to actually increase the amount of spice, whereas a sweeter beer is going to cut through that spiciness. The bitterness is going to allow it to linger along, along a bit more. But uh, with the flavors that we're getting uh, from the hops that, uh, that are typically used, uh, they often complement uh, nice spicy foods because they have a bit of an herbal, right. spicy,
0: sometimes citrus, uh, fruity character of their own. I know I'm going back here because I'm, I'm having trouble with the lager and the ales. Yes. So if you're looking for something as a light refreshment, do you go for a lager or do you go for an ale? If you're if you're in the
2: store the easiest thing to do is going to be go for a lager. Okay. Um, but uh, we're we're sort of we're, we're sort of covering things off in a basic sense there. Uh, the the way lager and ale works in in brewing they it the difference is in the yeast, but uh, the way it shows up on store shelves typically lagers are going to be lighter and crisper okay. and it's going to be a bit richer. And how does pilsner come into this equation. Pilsner is a lager. Um, It is sort of the beer that uh, made lagers what they are today. So Pilsner Kell in uh, 1842 was the first of the modern lagers and pretty much most of the common lager styles we see these days are uh, sort of descended from that and were variations on that style.
0: One of the things that you also mentioned is that you have a raspberry ale. We do. Uh, Is this something that we're going to see more of as we progress uh, with beer? Uh, Fruits and other, uh, I was going to use the word additive, that's probably not a great word, but things like that, adding that dimension to beer? Certainly, yeah. There's uh, there's many ways we can affect the
2: flavor of beer through our four basic ingredients, which is water, hops, yeast, and barley. Uh, and then in addition to that, we can we can add other fruits, uh, vegetables. You can see pumpkin beers in the in the fall. Uh, but there's plenty of ways that we can play around and uh, in, introduce new flavors.
0: Is beer healthy? Oh yeah. It's yeah. great for you
2: is it yeah it's uh, a lot of people sort of have the conception that it's a, it's a fattening drink right uh, really there's there's not much uh, more to it uh, uh, calorie wise than a, a glass of milk or oh, is that right? or apple juice yeah it's it's not nearly as, as bad for you as anyone thinks um, and you know well, I, I've well, heard that uh, that what would lead to the the beer belly, if you will, is uh, the activities that go along with drinking, which are typically sitting on the couch and eating eating a plate of nachos. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So maybe less eating, more beer drinking. Exactly. Yeah. You'd like that, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, I want to touch upon this before we run out of time, because I think this is really important. Um, First of all, Granville Island Brewing is is still open for tours? Definitely. I haven't been been in a while, I have to admit, but uh, it's it's a great tour. It's a great company. Uh, and, And I've noticed that you guys are very active in the community and is this by choice or by necessity
2: uh i'd say by choice uh we've been around since uh 1984 so we've got 32 years uh in the vancouver area and the community has supported us greatly um so it just it makes sense to be involved and and give back where we can what's
0: your choice for the beer you know how every year you got this is the summer hit this is the big song of the summer what's the big beer this summer there's a,
2: a lot of sours that are coming out, and sours are a very interesting beer style. They just, uh, sour's a bit of a weird term to describe it. They've got a bit of a higher acidity to them, so it gives them a bit of tartness, which in the the right amount can be very refreshing. Uh, so I've had a couple very nice sours so far this summer, and uh, we have one, a, a Gosa, which is a German-style sour, which will be coming out uh, in our small batch program.
0: We gotta go. All right. Let's taste some beer. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Um, Thank you, Mike Sharpam, Granville Island Brewing. I'd like to have you back and talk more about this and take some calls from listeners. Uh, We've got to thank Jamie Benteen, our technical producer. Uh, Shane Foxman is coming up next for Vancouver Weekend. My name is Ian Power. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW.